0: Hello, I'm Eddie French, and you might recognise me from such icy news noises as... Daddy! And who could forget... Well, the good news is is that I now have my own podcast. It's called Pick Scraped, and it is a fortnightly sketch show uh, made entirely by me. So if that sounds like the sort of thing you'd like, go to wherever you get your podcasts and listen to it. Thank you. Pick Scraped.
1: Listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. Boris Johnson says the Indian variant of coronavirus poses a threat to lockdown easing in June, proving that it's not just Indian test cricketers that have a real knack for spoiling England's fun in the summer. Edwin Poots is elected as the new leader of the DUP after running on a progressive ticket and promising to drag the party's views on women's reproductive rights into the 18th century. Liz Cheney is ousted from her leadership position in the Republican Party and replaced by a Trump loyalist. Now, I don't wish to be alarmist here, but that means Dick Cheney's daughter must be a member of the far-left Deep State. Truly, none of your children are safe, America. Better send them to Matt Gates's house for safekeeping. And finally, Tom Cruise returns his Golden Globes in protest at the award body's lack of diversity. Just a heads up, Golden Globes, when you've lost the moral high ground to the chief apostle of a global brainwashing cult that terrorises its ex-members, protects serial rapists, and murders dogs, it's probably about time you let a black person or two join your committee. Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Gore, and you're listening to IC News. This is my house now, and you need to leave. You can live in the garden for a bit. Until I get fed up of you and decide that I want the garden too. Then you can go and live in the alley. The alley's fine. Stop complaining about the alley. By the way, I'm probably going to patrol the alley quite a lot. In fact, I'm going to throw a big parade boasting about how I stole your house every year, and we're going to march right through the alley and I'm going to do it on the anniversary of the day I stole your house. It's a perfectly nice alley, so don't complain. You can even see the garden through the fence. But if your kids get too close to the fence, I am going to shoot them. And if you throw stones into the garden, I'm blowing up the alley. All of it. So just behave, will you? And stop making so much noise in the alley. I'm trying to watch grand designs. But hey, that's enough about me and the story of how I became a homeowner, despite being a millennial working in the arts. Let's move on from that completely unrelated anecdote and instead focus on the biggest story of the week, which was undoubtedly the eruption of some of the worst violence between Israel and Palestine that we've seen for years. It's a dangerous and rapidly escalating situation. Where there's clear and present danger, there's also a need to send the correspondent you value the very least. To that end, joining us live today from the heart of the conflict is our latest incarnation of the utterly disposable Rob Mulholland.
0: Hi Sam and hello to everyone at home. I'm Rob27 and this week has been another grim chapter in the saga of the conflict between Israel and the Palestinian people. Arab protests on Monday were met with Israel's trademark excessive force which in turn led to a violent response from Hamas in Gaza. Hundreds of rockets have been fired into Israel with Israel launching airstrikes into Palestinian territory as a response. We're now getting reports of Israeli soldiers massing at the border. In short, Sam, it's starting to look like Jared Kushner didn't actually fix that much. But that's Earth Prime. What you can hear behind me isn't the conflict between Israel and Hamas at all. I'm nowhere near that, and it's very important to make that clear. Sorry, Rob, I'm not sure I understand what you're getting at. It's very simple, Sam. The conflict between Israel and Palestine is a complicated and messy one, born out of decades' worth of religious and political animosity. The nature of the Israeli occupation means that there is a huge power imbalance between the military capabilities of the two factions in this struggle. It's simply far too difficult to present an honest account of the lopsided nature of the conflict without making severe criticism of Israeli policy, which, as we all
1: know, can be very problematic. I don't think it's that difficult. All you need to do is not conflate responsibility for the actions of the state of Israel with the entirety of the Jewish diaspora and la recognize la, that... la la
0: la la la. I'm not doing it, Sam. I'm not getting myself labelled as anti Semitic. Do you know how disastrous that is when you work in the media?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure you've helped your case with that comment, Rob.
0: See how easy it is to fuck up on this? I'm just not doing it. Instead, I'll report on a completely different conflict in a completely different reality. Any and all similarities to the events back home on Earth Prime are totally coincidental. I'm on Earth Delta Echo Pale Imitation 32, and this absolutely isn't a conflict between the State of Israel and Palestinian militants raging around me. Do you hear me, Sam? This is completely
1: different. Fine, I'll play along. Who is this conflict between, then? Shamistine and Is Not Real, Sam. Bit on the nose, don't you think? That's
0: the beauty of an infinite multiverse, Sam. You don't even have to be subtle. In this reality, I can comment with willful abandon on the brutality and excessive force with which Is Not Real has spent decades aggressively pursuing its expansionist agenda. I can highlight just how absurdly mismatched this conflict is, and just how disgustingly provocative the actions of ultra-nationalist is not Raelis have been in the last few days. I can point out that decades' worth of is not really occupation, complete with its many and flagrant breaches of international law, have gone unpunished and ignored by its allies in the West. Allies like the United States of A-Maybica, who have actively funded its aggression. A-Maybica? You heard me, Sam. A Maybicker. This is only getting worse, so you might as well get on board now.
1: Fine, let's just get to the point, shall we? What's the cause of this new conflict?
0: Put simply, Sam, politics and religious hatred simmering against the acrimonious backdrop of a dismal failure to reach a much-needed two-state solution. A proper state of Shammerstein would restore sovereignty and dignity to its people, but it has no hope of materialising under the region's current leaders. The leadership of Shamas see aggression in the face of oppression as the only adequate response they have to being forced to live under a brutal system of apartheid.
1: That's twice you've used sham now. Lazy writing is often a quirk of the multiverse, Sam. Tell me about it. Look, the narrative of the brutally oppressed freedom fighter is appealing, but firing rockets into civilian populations is terrorism, Rob. do not is not rail have a right to defend themselves?
0: That's the angle, Sam, and it's used relentlessly, with Is Not Real often deciding that attack really is the best defence. The question for the international community in this reality, a question that all too often goes completely unanswered, is why the Shamastinians aren't extended that same courtesy. With their territory being constantly stolen from underneath them, and their people brutally and disproportionately targeted by Is Not Raley security forces, do they not, too, have a right to defend themselves? Well, Surely there's some appetite for peace, though. Among the everyday people here? Of course. But the politics of this region have been so utterly toxic for decades now that brokering peace is proving next to impossible. And you also can't discuss this latest escalation in the conflict without mentioning a man who clearly stands to benefit from it all. Just say it. I'm talking, of course, about Benjamin Netanyahu. Now you're really pushing it. Netanyahu is the current leader of Is Not Real Sam, and he's been on the back foot of late. Facing corruption charges and losing his grip on power, his political opponents have been moving to oust him. And open conflict with Palestinian militants has historically been a huge factor in boosting his political fortunes. It's a tale as old as time, Sam. Fomenting conflict is a favoured tactic of right-wing authoritarians. Netanyahu has always put his own political career ahead of the freedom and dignity of the Shamestinian people. The new crisis he faces this time round is that sectarian violence is now erupting in is not cities as well, and it's going to be tricky for him to win votes by airstriking the living shit out of densely populated urban areas that are 80% Jewish. Hang on, you just said Jewish. Yes, Sam. Jew-ish. Is-not-raelis are a bit like Jews, but they're definitely not
1: Jews.
0: I believe I've made myself perfectly clear on that one. I really am very clever.
1: And how is all this going to end?
0: Honestly, one of two ways, Sam. With a genuine desire for peace from the political leadership of both sides, or very fucking badly indeed. But hopefully there will be some limits to the strength of the Is Not Rayleigh response. International law and basic human decency suggest there should be, which is why I'm sheltering here, in a Shamestinian children's hospital. I'm Rob Mulholland, and I think I just about got away with that one. Reporting for IC News. Oh,
1: fuck. Back here in the UK, we've now got the full picture of last week's election results. In the last episode, we promised you a closer look at the Scottish results, and unlike an explanation of how we plan to fix the social care funding crisis... It's a promise we're actually capable of delivering on. To that end, here's Monty Burns.
2: Thanks, Sam. It's been an interesting week for Scottish politics as the dust settles on the election results. The conclusions are clear. There's once again a pro-Leave majority at Holyrood although it's not quite an outright one for the SNP. They fell one member of Scottish Parliament short of their target of an outright majority and will again rely on the Scottish Greens for support in passing legislation. On the other side of the independence ticket, Alex Salmond's Alba party didn't pick up a single seat after apparently falling foul of pro-union tactical voting. And if you believe his version of events... It's not the first time he's been ganged up on. First, it was all nine of those women. He was just trying to offer a perfectly professionally sleepy cuddle. And now it's the voters. I'm sure he'll be fine. He seems like the sort of guy who can pick up on a clear signal and behave completely appropriately when rejected. And speaking of clear signals, an emboldened and victorious Nicola Sturgeon wasted absolutely no time flashing hairs at Boris Johnson. When it comes to another referendum on Scottish independence, her message to Westminster was simple. It's a question of when, not if. Just as a heads up, lads, that's never a sentence you want to hear growled at you by a woman from Irvine. In fact, it's a sure sign that you're about to get your balls rung like they're a set of fucking handbells. Sturgeon might have her eyes locked on a goal of a free and unfettered Scotland, but this election doesn't mean she's got an easy 500-mile walk towards it. The SNP are once again the largest party in the Scottish Parliament, but the overall results suggest that the country as a whole is still divided fairly evenly when it comes to independence. Although having said that, if you look at the electoral map, the colours aren't exactly split down the middle. Scotland's really more of a minion, with a big yellow body and tiny blue trousers. I've no idea why, but the rule seems to be that if you live in Scotland but you can smell Carlisle or Newcastle on a windy day, you'll be filled with just enough self-loathing to vote Tory, presumably because you know that they're the party that hates both of those places just as much as you do. If recent history has taught us anything, it's that somewhere around the 50-50 mark is really the magical number you want for a sensible, good-natured debate on the future of a geopolitical union. The thought of even having that debate again fills nervous wee Tories like Douglas Ross with more anxiety than your average Scottish teenager. Teenagers, by the way, who are currently shitting a brick over just how catastrophically the SNP have handled this year's hires And ah, you heard me I might be a Scottish voice And I might be a man who'd rather feed his helmet into a wood chipper before he'd ever shake hands with Boris Johnson But some of you lefties in the north of England need to calm down a bit with your fantasies about the perfect SNP It's nice to have some genuinely socially progressive politicians in power, don't get me wrong, but there's still plenty of space for spectacular incompetence, and being more left-wing than Gavin Williamson doesn't make John Swinney any less of a useless cunt. Education is just one of the steaming messes that the pandemic has left for the SNP to clean up. When it comes to the timing of another independence referendum, Nicola Sturgeon has promised that Scotland's recovery from Covid takes precedence for now. That's probably a sensible political gambit on two fronts. For one, the successful UK-wide vaccine rollout is currently overshadowing the mistakes of Westminster's earlier pandemic response. Sturgeon is clearly hoping that Scottish minds will be refocused on poor conservative decision-making when some of the shite starts coming out in the wash in next spring's inquiry. And for two, it's currently harder than Sturgeon would like for your average voter to unpick the economic damage of Brexit from the hit of the pandemic. Scottish fishermen are currently generating about as much profit as a Palestinian estate agent. That much is true. But the impact of Boris Johnson's deal with the EU is going to be much harder for other industries to measure when they're still struggling under the weight of coronavirus restrictions. Once those blinkers are lifted, the picture will be much clearer and the SNP will be hoping that Scots will be able to see through the Westminster spin. For now, though, the timing of Sturgeon's inevitable call for another referendum and the manner in which Boris Johnson will react to it remains a matter of speculation. Michael Gove seemed to suggest this week that the government would not seek to challenge the SNP's authority to call a new referendum in the courts. How true that is, given this government's tendency to suggest one thing and then do another, remains to be seen. Either way, we're in for a political scrap for the ages, and I for one cannot fucking wait to see Boris Johnson face some actual opposition for once. I'm Monty Burns, reporting for IC News.
1: Scottish independence, much like any number of his children, may well be something that Boris Johnson ends up delivering completely by accident but it certainly isn't one of his priorities. This week, he did get to lay out his plans for the next parliamentary session. The Queen's speech set out the government's priorities for the coming year, and there are some minor details in the small print that have raised one or two eyebrows about the future of British democracy. Just another day in Johnson's Britain, really. Here's everyday average woman with a heart of gold, Jade Fernley, to explain.
3: Hello everybody, I'm Jade Fernley, proud Yorkshire lass, hard-working mother of three and enthusiastic new shareholder in Dunelm. <laughs> Fuck your Bitcoin. The future's in silver cushions, overpriced fake fur throws and rattan patio furniture and I'll tell you that for now. Remember the name everybody... John Elm. <laughs> it's the successful woman's B and M, and it's not just the country's finest soft furnishings and furniture emporium that's been back in business this week. We've also got ourselves a Queen's speech and a new session of Parliament. You all heard Boris. Jabs, jabs, jabs are going to be jobs, 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 and Britain will soon be bouncing back from this god awful pandemic. It's time to build back bolder better and brighter than before. With all the hollow platitudes, lack of detail, and all the black holes where all the genuinely meaningful investments should be that those lovely sound bites entail. Now, admittedly, it would have been nice to hear a little bit from Boris about those plans for funding social care that he's been promising for ages now. But let's be fair, he has been busy. Also, and I don't mean to sound unfeeling on this matter, but I imagine the cost of quite a lot of that stuff has gone down a bit in the last year or so. You know, because of all the... (sighs) Say what you like about Tory spending recently, but you can't deny the ruthless efficiency of the way they've cut that particular cost. And you all know me, listeners, as a successful independent businesswoman, I'm a big fan of the Tory model of ruthless efficiency. Profit for me. Inefficient and unsatisfactory products and services for you. Oh, and I don't forget to outsource the positive Etsy reviews to a click firm in Bengal. That way, the mugs never know that your artisanal candles are just melted crayons with a bit of vanilla essence. Now, you'd think the left, with all their droning on about value for money and investment in public services, would have more to say on some of Boris's big policy pledges. But instead, they get getting their Marxist knickers in a twist about a few boring little details in the small print, like ID cards for voting in general elections. Now, I don't know about you at home, but for me... The safety and security of our democracy is absolutely paramount. Yes, Boris might have said in the past that he would cut up and eat any ID card that the state tried to force upon him. But that were before the scandal of 2019. Now, you probably don't know about this, Britain, but in 2019 our democracy was sorely tested. The security of in-person voting was assaulted on all sides, which is why these measures are now essential. Just a couple of short years ago, here in Britain, the greatest democracy in the world, a whole person, was convicted of impersonating somebody else at the polls. Did you hear me? One whole person. A single conviction. One. It's one too fucking many, isn't it? So naturally, the government has to respond. The best way to respond to such a brazen, all-out assault on the very sanctity of our free and fair elections is to roll out a policy that requires photographic ID at the polling station. Never again will one person threaten the foundation of our great British democracy. Unless, of course, that person is Boris Johnson. It's a fair and proportionate response to a problem that is clearly threatening to absolutely explode. What's next, Britain? Two confirmed cases of voter fraud? Even three? Yes, ID cards might well disenfranchise up to 2 million people, many of whom will be poor, young or from ethnic minority backgrounds who conveniently tend to lean left or centre. And yes, trials have shown that requiring ID cards at polling stations regularly result in hundreds of voters being turned away from the democratic process. But if that's what it takes... To safeguard our democracy and stop one man voting in person as someone else. Then so be it. Particularly if that one man was voting Labour. Or, heaven forbid, the Green Party. All of this anti-ID who ha is silly hot air. It's about election security, not artificially engineering a disgustingly illiberal solution to a non-existent problem. That's what David Davis called it. And we all know he's a champagne socialist soy boy beta cook. That making it harder to vote conveniently benefits the Tories is just an unfortunate side effect of really securing a free and completely fair democracy. And besides... Some of the stuff you'll hear about poor people not voting Tory is just outright lies. I've been to Hartlepool. Not exactly the fucking Ritz, is it? I'm Jade Fernley, and Dunelm's Summer Collection is out now, reporting for IC News.
1: Jade's report brings us to the end of our broadcast, so now it's time for you to piss off and get back in your rally. We'll see you again for the resumption of hostilities at the same time next week, but until then, here are the headlines you may have missed. Union official Howard Beckett is suspended from the Labour Party after suggesting that Pretty Patel be deported, as the Home Office is confusingly forced to argue that threatening to deport people isn't very nice. David Cameron appears before the Treasury Select Committee via Zoom, which is probably for the best, as from the waist up, nobody can see the piglet. Sadiq Khan unveils David Hockney's public installation at Piccadilly Circus, with the artist reimagining the tube station's trademark logo with a childishly bad bright yellow and purple MS paint drawing. True art, of course, provokes a reaction, and I guess good lord, that shit is definitely one of those. And finally, the release of new Torchwood audio stories has been scrapped, as actor John Barrowman faces accusations of repeatedly exposing his genitals on the set of Doctor Who in the past, and in the future, and in the present, and in a quarry somewhere in Wales that somehow looks like every alien planet ever. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you, and goodbye.
4: Danny Sutcliffe. I'm here today with the right bargain for you, and no, it's not just the mystery me I've got in the back of my van. Although that is also primo stuff, so meet me behind our bins and flash your full beams if you're interested. If you haven't joined our Patreon yet, we've got a special offer for you. Sign up now as one of our early bird supporters and you can get access to all of our exclusive content for just £2 a month. If you want bonus podcast sketches, compilation episodes, and ICU stories, this is the cheapest you're ever going to get them. You've got to be quick though. This deal is limited to the first 500 patrons, and they'll get snapped up quick. It's the best way to show your support for the show, and you'll be helping us to grow moving forwards. As always, thank you for all of your support, and we hope you enjoy the show. And no, it's not badger me. And if Brian May tries to tell you otherwise, he's a
3: fucking liar.